0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9-17. through 17. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship Him day and night within His temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them through the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. May the Lord bless the reading of this living word, and may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory in Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at the regular intervals on the planet mars the spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving towards the earth with enormous velocity these words were heard on the radio nationwide on october 30th 1938. then the music resumed It was interrupted again a few minutes later by another special bulletin. A huge flaming object believed to be a meteorite fell on a farm in the neighborhood of Grover's Mill, New Jersey, 22 miles from Trenton. Then the music started again. And a few minutes later, it was interrupted again as scientists came on the air to report that what they thought was a meteor was made of metal, an unidentified flying object. Listeners then heard police sirens and crowds arriving on the scene. Then a reporter said that strange creatures were emerging from the object. Then there were explosions. The music returned and a few minutes later it was interrupted again. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been handed a message that came from Grover's Mill by telephone. Just a moment. At least 40 people, including six state troopers, lie dead in a field east of the village of Grover's Mill. The next voice you hear will be that of Brigadier General Montgomery Smith, commander of the state militia at Trenton, New Jersey. I have been requested by the governor of New Jersey to place the counties of Mercer and Middlesex as far as Princeton and as east of Jamesburg under martial law. No one will be prevented to, permitted to enter this area except by special pass issued by state or military authorities. Four companies of state militia are proceeding from Trenton to Grover's Mill and will aid in the evacuation of homes within the range of military operations. Thank you. Some of you know what was happening. It continued that way for minutes, maybe an hour more, the music, and then more and more terrifying reports. Orson Welles was reading the 1898 H.G. Mills novel, The War of the Worlds, adapting the original text to include the names of real American cities and real military officers, with the studio full of actors with Realistic sound effects. Those who heard the introduction to the broadcast knew this. But many others who turned in late thought it was the real news. They thought there was an extraterrestrial attack or an earthly act of terror. This was 1938 after all. The Germans would invade Poland less than 12 months later. Hysteria ensued. Frightened listeners hunkered down in their basements or ran outside with their shotguns to investigate what was happening. Panicked people called the authorities. The police tried to get into CBS News and stop the broadcast. At the end of the program, Wells came on air to explain that this was a Halloween gag, the equivalent of CBS putting on a cape and saying boo but the damage was done. Wells claimed that this was just entertainment, that he wasn't trying to cause panic, but some people didn't buy that. Some people say that Wells was trying to teach the American public a lesson about believing everything you hear on the radio. Wells' true intentions are still debated. There's a similar debate about the words of John of Patmos, the author of Revelation, where today's Scripture came from. He also writes about war and the ravaging of the earth by strange beasts and even an unidentified flying, flaming object being thrown into the sea. Some think that John's words are pure fantasy. Some think that they are key to interpreting world events and predicting the future. Some think that they're meant to scare us into a more urgent commitment to Jesus so that we can escape the tribulation that will occur at the end times. But there is yet another way to understand John's words. Not a prediction of future tribulation, but words of hope to interrupt the program of tribulation his readers, his listeners were already experiencing. To interrupt their lives, not with fantasy, but with the news that the war for this world has already been won. In 70 AD, there was a Jewish war in Israel against their Roman occupiers. The much superior Roman forces were merciless in their retaliation, sacking Jerusalem and reducing the temple to the rubble that we now call the Western Wall and sending Jews, thousands of refugees, all throughout the Middle East and Europe. Many scholars think that John was a refugee from this war in Palestine. He ended up in Patmos, an island in the Aegean Sea 50 miles west of Asia Minor. And it was there that he had these ecstatic visions like the Hebrew prophets of old becoming a prophet himself. Now some say that prophets predict the future, but the primary vocation of the prophet is to tell the truth. John wants to interrupt the delusion that the Roman Empire rules the world. Caesar might sit on the throne in Rome, but the Lamb, Christ, reigns on high in glory. Many on this earth might hail Caesar as Lord. Others will be persecuted or even killed for failing to praise His name. But John sees that around the Lamb on the throne the true ruler of the heavens and earth, are a crowd of 144,000 worshipers that represent all of the 12 tribes of Israel. And John sees not only his people, but a multitude that cannot be counted from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And they are wearing white robes and they're waving palm branches like the crowd that greeted Jesus when he came into Jerusalem. And they're doing this with the angels and the heavenly creatures that fall down on their faces before the throne and worship God, saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever. Amen. John is saying that despite all the evidence to the contrary, Caesar is not Lord. Despite all the evidence to the contrary, Christ rules the world with truth and grace and even though it is not apparent, yet makes all the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love. John wants to interrupt the delusion that suffering and death will win. The ones he sees before the throne are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. Yes, there was the tribulation of John's time, persecution for Christians in Asia Minor, but also the tribulation that we call life in every time in every place. The ones John sees before the throne have come through the great tribulation. And he wants to assure his readers, his listeners, that they will come through it too. John says that God will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. John wants to uh, interrupt the hungers and thirst of his readers with the promise of God's abundance. The sweltering heat of their days with the promise of God's sheltering care. Their feelings of helplessness with the reminder that the Lord is their shepherd. John wants to interrupt their tears with the assurance that God will wipe them away. On this All Saints Sunday, we have gathered to give God thanks and praise for the faithful lives of the saints. We have also gathered together to grieve. My prayer this morning is that not that John's prayer John's words will interrupt our grief. No, grief is the cost of love that refuses to let go, even and especially in the face of death. Grief is an inevitable part of life and an inevitable part of faith. No, my prayer is that John's words would interrupt our hopelessness. You know, there's an old bumper sticker that says, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. If you are paying attention to this world, and if you are paying attention to the Jesus prayer begging that earth might be as it is in heaven, you should be outraged. You should be outraged by the cruelty of cancer and Alzheimer's and aging. You should be outraged by depression and addiction and suicide. You should be outraged by the destruction of life caused by record temperatures and unpredictable storms. You should be outraged by the rise of homelessness in our city and the rise of hunger around this globe. You should be outraged by 565 mass shootings and all the instances of everyday violence that don't even make the headlines. You should be outraged by war. Israeli and Palestinian civilians killed and Israeli and Palestinian children traumatized and parentless. And Ukrainians facing another winter as Russian bombs fall. If you're paying attention and see the great suffering of this world, you should be outraged You should grieve with Jesus whose heart breaks and whose tears fall because earth is not yet as it is in heaven. Because death still seems to have its grip on this world. But as Paul says in Thessalonians, we do not grieve as those with no hope. Again, my prayer this morning is that John's vision would interrupt our hopelessness the lamb who was slain on the cross reigns on the throne our beloved saints dearly departed are resurrected and healed and whole they hunger no more and thirst no more and they no longer feel the heat of the scorching sun and god has wiped away every tear from their eyes and john says that that also will be so with us and that it will be so for this whole world. On a wall of a concentration camp in Cologne, Germany, the following words were written by an anonymous Jew. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. And I believe in love, even when there's no one there. And I believe in God, even when he is silent. I believe through any trial, there was always a way. John seeks to interrupt our unbelief this morning. The war for this world has been won. So live like it. Because believing is not just a matter of heart and mind, it's a matter of attitude. It's a matter of orientation. It's a matter of words and actions. It's a matter of relationships. It's a matter of the way we live our lives. My second prayer is that John's words will interrupt our purposelessness. That they will interrupt our fear that in the face of such insurmountable suffering and death that our lives don't really matter. Because they do. They do. If you don't believe it, just think about the lives of those saints that we remembered today. Just think about the lives of those people that you would call saints. They also struggled to believe they could make a difference in the vast fate of this world and its great problems. But you know different. You know that they made a difference in your life. When Mother Teresa died, it was a great shock to many that discovered in her diary words of doubt and depression. It was a shock because we all saw her inspiring witness, her days of providing shelter and shade and food and water and wiping the tears of the eyes of the sick and the poor and the dying on the streets of Calcutta. But I think her depression and her doubt make her even more worthy of that title, saint. Because, in spite of her inner struggles, and maybe even because of them, she practiced the words that she preached. Not all of us can do great things, but we can all do sp- small things with great love. May you interrupt doubt and despair may you interrupt hopelessness and purposelessness may you interrupt the death and decay all around you with small acts of great love may you be who you already are a saint may it be so